Welcome to the Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. I'm your host, David Brett. On Monday, Saudi Arabia's Neom Green Hydrogen Company announced a deal to build the world's largest green hydrogen production facility at a cost of $8.4 billion. The plant, to be completed in 2025, will make green fuel for export and decrease the country's dependence on petrodollars and gain Saudi Arabia a strong foothold in the nascent hydrogen market. The agreement struck by NEOM is one of many in recent years that has seen hydrogen become a very big deal. So essentially, we see uh, hydrogen as being quite an exciting new technology that can have potentially massive applications throughout the energy sector. That's Christian Hoog Madsen, co-head of hydrogen investment at Schroeder's Greenco. Hydrogen is seen as an attractive alternative to fossil fuels and can be produced using renewable energy. So we see a multitude of potential application areas and end products as well as end customers. But I think also more broadly, it really sets a path to um, as to how hard, otherwise hard to abate sectors can actually be decarbonized. So in this show, we're going to discuss whether hydrogen is a green energy solution and what the future holds. But in the first part of the show, we'll look at why hydrogen and why now. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. Around 90 million tonnes of hydrogen is currently used per year, globally. However, demand for hydrogen is set to soar. Based on existing government pledges, demand is expected to reach around 250 million tonnes per annum by 2051. This would make the hydrogen market worth up to around 800 billion US dollars in annual revenues. Net zero targets are the main reasons why hydrogen is becoming such a big focus for countries. Now, the latest World Health Report on climate change and health calls for transformational action in every sector, including energy, transport and finance. It says now the public health benefits of ambitious climate actions far outweigh the costs. Many countries around the world have committed to a goal of net zero emissions to avert the worst of global warming. However, globally, energy-related CO2 emissions grew last year, according to the International Energy Agency. So in that sense, we really haven't started the journey yet. But obviously, this varies quite significantly, both between regions and sectors. So if we look at the EU as, a, as one example, that actually saw a 2.5% reduction in CO2 emissions last year. And keeping in mind that 2022 was a year marked by oil and gas market disruptions, then um, we in short saw still that building sector emissions felt quite markedly helped by a mild winter, but power uh, sector emissions still grew. So I would summarize it as being globally, um, we're in the very start of this journey. So for many regions and sectors, the path to net zero remains opaque. So I would say we've seen quite good advances when it comes to power markets. So uh, the penetration of renewables in the power markets have come a reasonable way. 
Wind and solar now account for 12% of global electricity generation in 2022, and it seems likely that the power sector emissions have peaked globally. If we zoom in a bit and look at the EU, then 2022 marked the year where wind and solar actually generated more electricity than gas for the first time, whereas coal was already surpassed some uh, years ago. In the UK, uh, to take another example, grid CO2 emissions fell by more than half between 2012, sorry, 2010 and 2020. That was mainly a function of coal uh, leaving the system and renewables taking its place. Looking at a technology such as solar, which has really have had a remarkable streak, it seems quite likely that 2022 will be the year where uh, solar crosses the mark of 200 gigawatts of new capacity being added. However, uh, in the more hard to abate sectors, we see that progress is quite limited. Hard to abate sectors include areas such as cement, the chemical industry, and in particular steel. Steel production requires high temperatures, traditionally using dirty fossil fuels in a conventional blast furnace. As a result, steel production emits about two tonnes of CO2 for every tonne of steel, making it one of the worst offenders when it comes to emissions. For an industry in which fossil fuels are baked into the production process, all hope for decarbonisation hangs on hydrogen. Essentially, hydrogen is quite a flexible energy source, so that can provide uh, electricity, it can provide uh, a fuel for land transportation, for aviation, for shipping, heat, long power, long-term uh, power storage, and also chemical feedstock for industrial processes. So it can really, in addition, it can also be stored as a gas or as a liquid and be converted into various other synthetic fuels. So it's essentially this flexibility of hydrogen that has gained this nickname of the Swiss army knife in the energy transition. So, if hydrogen is the answer to our net zero problems, why isn't its use more ubiquitous? I will, though, add that despite its flexibility, um, just because it can be used many different places doesn't mean that it's necessarily the best option for all purposes. That's coming up in part two of the show. Get in touch with us by email at shorterspodcasts at shorters.com or visit our website, shorters.com forward slash investor download. Around 90 million metric tonnes of hydrogen is produced globally per year. It comes in many different colours, but the main ones are grey, blue and green. However, the overwhelming majority produced is so-called grey hydrogen. Yeah, so uh, grey or brown hydrogen is uh, produced, uh, is the traditional method of producing hydrogen, and that's produced by reacting steam, so steam water, with methane, so natural gas. Um, and that leads then to material CO2 emissions in that process. Grey hydrogen uses 6% of natural gas and 2% of coal to make it. Unfortunately, the byproduct is CO2 emissions, which are equal to that of a large European country. So, an alternative to grey is blue hydrogen. Then uh, we also have blue hydrogen, which essentially seeks to capture and store all the CO2 that's released in the production of brown hydrogen. Blue hydrogen is produced from gas and coal, but you can capture the CO2 at source. The captured CO2 uh, will, should then be um, stored 
so that the emissions are not coming into the air. Um, that could be, for example, storage in old um, salt caverns, or it could be in the storage of, uh, for example, depleted oil fields in the North Sea or other uh, underground storage possibilities, for example, in the North Sea as being identified as a, a key area for this. Unsurprisingly, blue hydrogen might be preferred by the oil and gas industry because it utilises fossil fuels. However, that means investing in tech that might be defunct in 10 years' time, given countries' net zero commitments. So the ideal solution is green hydrogen. The other, um, one of the other colours is a green hydrogen. So that comes from electrolysis of water using electric energy from a clean source, importantly. Electrolysis, which has been known for hundreds of years, is the process of using electricity to split water into hydrogen and oxygen, the byproduct of which is as harmless as water. However, currently only 4% of the hydrogen produced is pure green hydrogen, which uses renewable sources. The main reason for that is cost. Green hydrogen produced through electrolysis using renewable power costs around about $15 per kilogram. Compare that with as little as $2 per kilogram for grey hydrogen produced with cheap fracked natural gas costs. It's a, um, it's a new technology. Uh, certainly electrolyzers are using it in this scale and on those volumes is a completely new thing to do. Um, so expertise has to be built up in this, uh, technology has to evolve, and you have to make sure that also from an operational point of view that it is uh, reliable and lives up to the uh, various assumptions uh, that you have regarding it. Um, when it comes to blue hydrogen, there is the whole new additional um, part of the value chain where you actually need to, for example, uh, pump it into a, a ship in order to sail it out and uh, inject it into depleted oil fields, as an example. That is a, a new area, a, a new technology and a new, new area. Transporting and delivering hydrogen comes with its risks too, most notably its flammability and corrosive effects. But Christian sees the market rising to those challenges. Currently, it is certainly more expensive than its uh, grey or conventional uh, counterpart. But among the market actors, there's quite a strong belief that significant cost outs can be achieved and thus potentially making green hydrogen reach price parity in, parity, uh, in the future. So I think the an analogy that's often drawn here is to renewables. We're looking at you know on and offshore wind uh, as well as uh, the solar sector. You can really see this potential of enormous cost reductions as a function of both volume, but also innovation in a market. So what does the future for hydrogen look like and who's set to benefit? That's coming up in the final part of the show. We know the challenges in producing and delivering greener hydrogen, but we also know the demand it can satisfy given government's commitments towards net zero. So where are we most likely to see green hydrogen deployed? Yeah, so in our view, the most obvious case is to use blue or green hydrogen where hydrogen is already used today. So that would, for example, be in the petrochemical in industry where uh, it would introduce no additional risks in terms of uh, how to handle this gas since these plants are already used to handling uh, hydrogen. 
So we see as that that as the most obvious case. In terms of future uses, then we see certainly aviation as shipping as being some very uh, interesting industries for its application. Essentially, industries where its energy density make it quite a plausible replacement for fossil fuels. So those sectors they account for approximately four and a half percent of the global greenhouse gas emissions. And in order to meet net zero, a um, a cleaner and high energy density alternative to fossil fuels must be found. But it won't be for everyone. So there's a couple of areas here where we remain a bit more skeptical. So domestic heat is an area we are skeptical about. We still remain unconvinced that it will actually prove cost effective to produce clean hydrogen and then in addition upgrade the transmission network in order to distribute it. We believe Electrification through heat pumps is likely a more efficient and cost-effective solution. Although, of course, the thermal efficiency of the building stock will need to be improved uh, materially. Another example is cars and other kind of road vehicles. In our view, this race is more or less already run with electric vehicles being the clear winner for domestic use. So homes already have electric connections to power lithium-ion batteries. And um, we believe the challenges ensuring that the electrons from the grid are green enough, that's a, a solvable challenge. And it's certainly uh, a much less of a challenge than having to distribute hydrogen out to end users. In addition, we also see that it's simply inefficient to take green electricity and use it to produce green hydrogen, transport the hydrogen, and then use hydrogen to power the vehicle. It will. It's simply easier to just let the green electrons flow directly into the vehicle's batteries instead. And what role might current fossil fuel producers play? Yeah, so we expect them to play a significant role initially in replacing their currently used brown hydrogen by either green or blue counterparties. So uh, oil and gas may just currently use hydrogen in, for example, refineries. And we see it as being an obvious place, as touched upon before, to start replacing that with green and blue. More broadly, we also believe that uh, oil and gas majors, they are interested in this area for two key reasons. One being that um, some of these applications can potentially increase the longevity of their assets, and they will be keen to pursue this route. The other being that hydrogen is expected to become a central part of the future energy sector, so they will be keen to be part of this future. Somewhat analogous, analogous to that many oil and gas majors relatively recently have become very interested in an area such as offshore wind. We believe the same would happen in hydrogen. So where is all the money being channeled? Currently, we already see significant amount of investments being channeled into clean ammonia, uh, methanol and other synthetic fuels. We see this as in part driven then by first movers, movers, for example, within the shipping industry that have taken significant steps forward and signed offtake agreements despite there being no subsidies. So subsidies are currently being rolled out in the UK, across the EU, US and several other places globally. And we do expect that as soon as these subsidies are um, have been rolled out, this will drive investment significantly forward broaden the end applications where we see investments going to. We also kind of note that 
given that this is uh, potentially such a large area going forward, most countries are quite keen to be the future winners in this area, reaping both, of course, the obvious economic benefits there could be from being the champions of uh, the next hydrogen economy, but we also see that uh, it has quite a clear impact on that it can increase energy security in countries, which has also come to the uh, top of the agenda uh, due to recent events. Several industrialised countries have formulated ambitious national hydrogen strategies that rely heavily on importing green hydrogen from other countries, including countries in the global south that are rich in renewable energy. Countries in Africa such as Namibia, for instance. India, too, is expected to compete hard, and not to mention the US with its fiscal might. And China already has a dominant position in the market, having invested huge amounts into electrolyzers, which are vital to green hydrogen production. Even so, Madsen believes we've not even started yet. We're very excited about, about the potential path to net zero that we essentially through hydrogen and its derivatives, we're now seeing seen, uh, as becoming much more concrete. We can actually see a credible, credible path to decarbonizing some of the otherwise hard to abate sectors. We expect that this market will really take off in the next um, two to three years. And in particularly, we see that initially it will be driven strongly by subsidies. And we expect within uh, the end of the decade that it will um, have come sufficiently down in price so that subsidies play a less prominent role. And if not by the end of this century, then sorry, by the end of this decade, but then certainly in the next, we do expect it to reach price parity. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, schroders.com forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at Schroders Podcast at schroders.com. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening, but above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products, or to adopt any investment strategy. 